Hello, and welcome to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of entrepreneurship and investing in the legal cannabis industry. Each week, we'll give you our perspective on the latest news in the industry, bring you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry pros, and also go deeper on topics like launching a business, building a team, pitching investors, and setting a fair valuation. Now, why would we take on such a challenge? Well, since we launched our cannabis-focused business accelerator and venture fund in 2013, we've made over 110 investments into 90 companies in the legal cannabis industry. And we want to share our experiences and learnings with you. So join us every week as we take a deeper look into the legal cannabis industry and uncover the nuances and subtlety of starting up and investing in cannabis. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Canopy Boulder Cannabis Business Podcast. I am Celia Daly. I'm the marketing manager here at Canopy Boulder, and I am joined by Bob Goodman, who is our managing director and is sort of in charge of our accelerator program. Bob, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, as always. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, who follow the podcast know what Canopy Boulder is about. We're an accelerator and a venture fund for businesses operating in the cannabis space, primarily the ancillary um, space, as well as now hemp and CBD, which we're adding in 2019, which we're really excited about. But as such, we, you know, we see hundreds of applications every year of entrepreneurs who are starting new businesses, um, who are looking for investment. And we get asked, you know, a question, I personally get asked a question over and over by people looking into applications. Um, around sort of what should I highlight? Where should I focus my energy on the application? What what are you looking for from me? So we thought we'd kind of break it down in this episode of the podcast and talk a little bit about what investors are actually looking for when they make investments. So since Bob uh, is the person who sort of looks through the applications and also is a many time over entrepreneur himself. I thought he would be the perfect person to help us answer answer some of these questions and talk about kind of what are the top areas investors are looking for in potential entrepreneurs. So let's jump into it. Um, so I think the first thing that we talk a lot about around here is the problem. So I think that might even be one of the first questions we ask on our application. What's the problem you're trying to solve? Um, and then the solution. So, um, you know, I, the problem, I think, acts as a bit of an anchor, right? I mean, entrepreneurial efforts are inevitably going to change and pivot. So, Bob, what, what's your sort of feeling on why the problem is important? The, the problem is important because it then uh, leads to identifying the other elements, which are so, how, big, how big of a problem is it and how big is the market that wants to see the problem solved. Um, and do you have the right resources in place or plans to bring those in place to solve the problem? But really identifying the direction or the focus rather is a better word, the focus that you plan on having um, to address some hopefully large market space that is experiencing this problem. Right, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and you know, I think when you get a little too too tied to your solution you kind of lose sight of it right um and and that's when i think we see businesses where 
you know, there's this old saying, club your baby seal, right? you got to know when when it's time to let it go and move on to the next thing. That's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great one. We used to use uh, in grad school a lot. You know, you got to know when, when it's over and it's done and it's an adorable baby seal, but maybe it's time to let it go. But okay. I think when you get too tied to the solution, sometimes you, you keep working at something that the market doesn't want. Yeah, that was that. That's where this concept of uh, being overconfident um, has popped up in some discussions I've I've been involved with recently. We want, as a, as just in general, the the American style is we want people to be overconfident in what they're working on, um, but that can lead to blindness sometimes. So um, if you are overconfident, then you may, as Celia mentioned, you may miss. Um, opportunities that are in your um, area of focus. Um, you may also not execute on time. Um, so we look for entrepreneurs who are clearly confident in what it is they want to do, but we want to make sure they're not wearing blinders, mm -hmm. that they are open to taking suggestions, that they're open to potentially pivoting if it makes sense. Um, so that's just one aspect of the kind of entrepreneur we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so that's number one, right? Um, kind of what's the problem you're trying to solve first and foremost, followed by the solution. Um, the next is the market. So especially in an industry like cannabis, things are changing quickly. Um, and based on where we are in the industry and what the timing is like, um, the market's going to look really differently. So, you know, one of the questions we ask a lot is, is what is the market? What's the size of the market? And what's the timing of the market? Um, you know, and then beyond that, what research do you have to back that up? I mean, I think that goes back a little bit to your point about overconfidence, Bob. Like, yeah, it's a matter of um, knowing your market and knowing, ha having done the research. I mean, the research is important. So it's really uh, knowing the size of the market, um, knowing um, at what point you can actually seize. A portion or all of that market and how big is that so that's where we get into the concepts of total available market and sellable available market um, concepts yes the market right now for cannabis is enormous and growing rapidly but um, there are portions that we can actually impact and so as an entrepreneur it's important that you understand what your capabilities are based upon your resources and how much of the market can you potentially seize and by when yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, moving to our next point. Team, 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 and team. Yep, that's right? the top three. <laughs> always, always being considered as first team, second team, third team. And then you get into market and competition and traction and all the other things. But yeah, we look for uh, founders um, that have been uh, working on the, the new opportunity for some time, perhaps. Um, maybe with a product or not quite yet with a product. But we'd like to bring in um, companies that have more than one founder, although that's not, a, that's not a golden rule. We have brought in companies with one founder and helped them uh, build their team, um, either with additional founders or with additional um, key staff members that they need. So, but, but it takes, in many cases, uh, solutions uh, may sound very interesting, um, but if the right team is not there, there, you may lose the interest from the investment side. So investors would like to find people that they believe 
can actually execute and reach the goals that are being jointly established. Yeah, so you know, one of the one of our many sayings we have around here is is that sole founder is really cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> we don't wish it on our worst enemies. So can you talk to us a little bit about why it's important to have a co-founder? Yeah, you're as an entrepreneur, you're going to go through ups and downs. Um, so it's it's fun to share the ups with other co-founders um, who can help congratulate you and you can congratulate those individuals as well. But the downs are tough. Um, it's, it's many, I call them punches in the stomach, but you get those more often than you would like. Um, so it's important to have additional members on your team who can help you through those moments because you will run into those. Right. You know, and, and I think especially for some of our teams, as they leave the accelerator, you know, it, it always ends up being one person's almost full-time job to raise capital, right? With leaving other people on the team to be running the operation of the business. Yeah, and, that's why we ask that founders, when they're raising money, raise look at raising 18 months worth because that gives them time to actually work on growing the business, you know, sales mostly as a key focus. Uh, but if you're raising money every six months, then you're going to be 100% involved with that, and your business most likely will have challenges growing. Yeah. And, you know, I think to be fair, finding the right co-founders is complicated, right? Especially when you have a business that uh, where, you're, where you're really running on fumes in terms of money. Um, you don't have a lot of money to pay somebody, and you're asking them to come on full-time, work full-time, and that can be a complicated kind of process to find the exact right person and there are definitely resources out there for that i think we have an earlier podcast episode if you guys go back on um finding a co-founder and and the importance of co-founders and there's some tips in there so you might check that out if you're thinking about that but i think even beyond that it's important to have the right people so um you know we're in a really fast moving industry and the the ones who are going to come up come out on top in this industry are the ones who you'll be able to react quickly. And so it's important, I think, that you bring on the right people for that role, right? So we don't want people having to be sort of on the job learning as much as possible. We want people who've had that experience before, have maybe accomplished things in a similar arena in the past and can bring that experience uh, to the table rather than kind of learning on, you know. Yep. Often um, founders will be in some cases, they have their old full-time job that they haven't been able to step out of yet, and we are looking for founders who are ready to step out of that that comfortable zone of having a fixed income. Uh, we want them to be 100% focused on their opportunity. Same as with other co-founders. Often you'll bring on people as co-founders because they have expertise, but again, they're not willing to step out of their comfort zone. So. It's important that we find founders who are totally dedicated, um, obviously very confident in what they're doing, but um, they need to be totally focused on this opportunity, not just partially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, next, our next point is traction. So before we even talk about traction, let's define it, because traction is that word people love to throw around. What, what does traction even mean? Simply put, traction typically is, is revenues. Um, getting customer adoption um, is traction, whether they're giving you a letter of intent, that could be considered traction, but that letter of intent has some signal regarding revenues that will occur if, if certain things happen. 
So, but investors basically, when they say traction, they're looking for actually having customers who are willing to pay for the solution or product um, in real dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so what we like to do is um, find out the stage that the companies are in, and it can be pre-traction, pre-revenue. Um, in many cases it is, but we want to see how fast they can get to certain sweet spots. For example, um, many investors kind of consider the $40,000 a month run rate um, as a sweet spot because that means you're running at about half a million dollars a year in annual recurring revenues. And investors, when they see that, um, they get somewhat excited about the opportunity. So very few of our companies coming into the accelerator are at that stage, but we like to help get them on that track so that at the point that they do reach that or get close to that 40K monthly recurring rate, um, that's when things start getting exciting as far as investments. Yeah, and you know, like Bob mentioned, a lot of the companies that we see, um, just based on the type of investment we do, are pre-revenue. Um, and that's not necessarily a deal breaker, as Bob mentioned, um, but we want to sort of know why why it is that way and what's the plan to get there. And then you have to you have to keep in mind as an entrepreneur, as someone starting a business, that any investment you're going to get is going to reflect that, right? So if you don't have revenue yet, um, the risk is going to be higher, and so the percentage equity that you're going to have to give away is probably going to be a little higher. As yeah, well. it, it's all about leverage. Mm -hmm. um, the more leverage that you can build as a startup, the better off you're going to be as far as the amount of equity that you don't have to give up. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can get to that that uh, 500k annual recurring revenue level, then, then that gives you a tremendous amount of leverage. Um, and investors know that, and therefore you have a better chance of negotiating perhaps a better valuation cap, for example. Right. So, I, you know, in summary, if you if you have revenue, that's great. That's what we want to see. If you don't, um, you know, we want to know how you're going to get there and what the plan is, right? Yeah, and team is important. Yeah. I and mean, you could, if you have a great team, um, that, that does a lot as far as, even though you may not have revenue yet, but if you, if you have a team that comes across as being capable of reaching revenue stage, then that's very, very powerful. Absolutely. All right, so our last point is going to be the type of business that you're trying to grow. And this is particularly um, important for investors, right, because based on the type of business you're building, if it's going to be a venture-backed business versus sort of a lifestyle business, it's going to either qualify you or sort of disqualify you for investment. So, Bob, can you explain to us a little bit lifestyle versus venture-backed or... Yeah, when... when when investors ask the entrepreneur what their exit strategy is, it is typically very important that the entrepreneur not say that they plan on staying with this company forever as a lifestyle kind of experience because that says to the investor that there is probably little chance for a return on their investment. So an entrepreneur should be conscious of that and therefore say typically our plan is to either go public or to be acquired. Right. And those are kind of the common uh, expected responses that venture capital or angel groups like to hear. Right. And I mean, I think it's important to mention here, there's nothing wrong, of course, with, with going the lifestyle route. Of, you know, there's lots of businesses like that, lots of small businesses like that, where you're making enough income to sort of 
um, cover yourself, maybe have a couple employees, have a comfortable life. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. But then you have to ask yourself if bringing on investors, especially venture, venture capital investors, really makes a lot of sense. And potentially, maybe you go a different way. Yep. Um, if you can fund the operation yourself, go for it. Right. Absolutely go for it. As a matter of fact, that's better than raising money because you're not giving up any equity. But most companies need funds in order to properly execute to their plan. Um, and those funds typically come from angel groups or venture capital organizations. Right. So when thinking about kind of what type of business this is, things investors are going to be asking or questions about, you know, what does the business look like in five to seven to ten years? Um, and where is the return? I mean, venture capitalists are looking traditionally for about a 10x return within about, what, ten years-ish? Five to seven five, five is to probably seven. where we are nowadays. used to be longer, but um, it's... Venture capital companies typically move around as far as the stage of the company they're interested in and also when, what type of returns they would like and when. But I would say normally it's between five to seven years is when they expect a return on their investment. Yeah. So those are kind of our top level points on what investors are looking for. Um, you know, that's, that's what we look for when we look at our applications. That's what a lot of the investors in our network um, have looked for and so those are the things that entrepreneurs should really be highlighting in pitch decks um, in conversations with investors that you're having and certainly on any applications you're doing for investment or for an accelerator program like Canopy Mulder um, so I mean do you have any other thoughts? About well I mean that's what we do at Canopy Boulder through our accelerator program is we prepare companies um, who may have a certain focus and certain market that they're going after initially and, and often they end up pivoting to something else because we help them understand that perhaps that's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. We don't tell them to, but we kind of help them along. Um, but then at the end of the program, they have you know high-level professional due diligence in place so that they can offer that to interested investors. They have a very strong story. Uh, they they also have all the necessary materials to communicate that story. So that's that's what the Campy Boulder Accelerator is really all about, is pre prepping startups to be able to then move into the seed investment stage mm -hmm. at the end of the program. And that can really set a business apart, right? If you're an investor and you're looking at um, multiple different options, ha having, having a business that can sort of say, here are these top level things that we know you're thinking about, um, we have a whole due diligence packet that we've put together. We've already answered all your questions before you have them. Um, can really be the thing that puts you over the edge and makes you a more attractive yep. investor. Investors, investors are looking for deals, and uh, the Canopy Boulder experience is well thought of. It's, it's also, we have a few years under our belt. We have great network established, so we can really um, pre-vet, if you will, um, a lot of these opportunities that we invest in and then we also introduce the companies to other investors for, for, for adding to their typically seed round uh, yeah. raise. Absolutely. So that's kind of it. That's, that's our little quick overview on what investors are looking for as they vet deals. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur and you are sort of beginning this process, maybe you have some traction, maybe you're still just sort of popping an idea around in your head, but you've got a great team, check us out at canopyboulder.com. Um, you can apply at canopyboulder.com backslash apply. 
And uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of it for right now. Our applications are open through the end of March. Our next class starts May 6th, so that's important information. And we hope you enjoyed this. And if you like the podcast, make sure you, you review us, rate us. That, that All that stuff helps us sort of move up the ranks. And that's important because if you think this information is valuable, there's probably other people out there who think it's valuable too. So help them see it by giving us a rating if you like us. Or if you don't like us, give us a rating. Let us know what we could do better. What's not to like. What's not to like. <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And we will see you next time. Now for the disclaimers. Uh, please do not take any information from the Canopy Boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice. Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So thank you for listening and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.